Hey y'all, welcome Welcome to the Abide Abide Podcast, where we talk about how to let love lead your actions as Jesus commands us in John 15, when he tells us to abide in him by loving God and each other. We're going to walk through what leading in love looks like every week by answering questions that are asked on our Instagram account and applying what God says in his word to answer those questions. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Abide Podcast. We're happy that you guys are tuning in again for another podcast. I hope you can't hear Hank panting in the background, but if you can, it's because he has picked up a new passion of fetch. He's finally bought into being a retriever and has learned, (laughs) learned how to bring us back the ball. So he's been getting burned out these days as we play fetch in our backyard with him. Yeah, sometimes he doesn't drop the ball, though, and you have to, like, run after him. It's a conundrum, but we love him. He's our angel boy, so we will forgive him and move forward. (laughs) But he's laying right next to us on the couch, and so he, you might hear some panting. Hopefully he'll stop soon. (laughs) So to kick it off, we'll start with our shorter questions. Um, Where are you from? I am from Dallas, Texas. And I am from Houston, Texas. But we met in College Station, Texas, and that's where we we didn't get Hank. Hank is from Waco. Waco. Hank is from Waco, Texas. But our family is from College Station, Texas. Relatively. Relatively. Like where we got we got married a little bit outside of College Station and um we're talking about like our family, like Michael and I. Just yeah. just like immediate like our marriage if that makes sense but our family our family (laughs) our family began um but our our families are actually i my family is from dallas relatively my mom's from pennsylvania um and then michael's family is from houston relatively and then Mm -hmm. with a little bit of montana mixed in there in kansas so but our families now all live in Houston, and we currently live in North Carolina, some of you guys know, and we're here because we're stationed here for the Marine Corps. So uh, the next question is, what's the weirdest place you've ever gone to the bathroom? And I have an inkling that this is going to be more common questions asked now that y'all know some weird things about what Michael has to do in the field uh, and, and living without a house most days. <laughs> So, baby, where where is yours? So, my answer to this actually isn't from the field. I think it's whenever I was, like, a kid. My parents shared this story with me. Whenever I was, like, five or six years old, probably is before my parents got divorced. It was probably, like, the middle of the night. I don't know. It wasn't super late because they were still awake, but I was supposed to be asleep. But they caught me sleepwalking, and I just walked straight past them with my eyes closed, opened the pantry door, and just started peeing in the trash can of the pantry. (laughs) And they were just like, what? (laughs) And then I closed the trash can, closed the pantry, and walked back to my bed (laughs) and went to sleep. (laughs) You're an interesting little kid. I can't wait to see what our children are like. Um, I think mine is literally just outside. You've like, gone outside before? I've had to, like, when we're hiking, I think. There was one time where I was Maybe. like, I have to pee. And you were like, you got to do it. Um, but I try not to. It's, like, harder for girls. Honestly, I give it up to anyone who's like, yeah, I'm fine with using a bathroom outside. I'm like, you have to get in, like, a 90-degree angle squat. It's, like, super <laughs> intense. And 
good for you if you do that well. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Our question today that we received is, does God punish us? So we wanted to kind of analyze this question because there's a lot of ways to take it and we wanted to answer it holistically. So our answer probably isn't going to be as specific as it needs to be. But basically kind of looking at this question, it's, it could be asking, does God punish us in eternity or does God punish us here on earth or essentially like what could be the reason that I'm feeling the pain that I'm feeling is kind of where I'm getting is kind of what I'm feeling. This question is asking a little bit. So we're gonna, we're gonna start with just going through those topics, I guess, um, that them being God's righteous judgment, God's discipline, uh, the consequences and effects of sin, and then the reality of Satan, I guess, probably. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's encompassing of this question. We're going to go in that order of what he said. So to kind of kick it off, the first one being God's righteous judgment on sinners and the wicked. And so, If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have professed faith under him, you've given your full heart to him, then this does not apply to you. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and do not walk in obedience with him, this does apply to you. And it's a really scary thing, but we just have some verses that we're going to read because honestly, there's no better way to tell you about God's judgment. Uh, And if God punishes us, then to look at scripture. So we're going to start it off with Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This just proves that the Lord um, is the one that gets vengeance. And it is on his timing. It is his. He will repay. And it is not up to us. Uh, because God is just, and through that justice comes judgment. Yeah, and I like the verses that we have too. I think it's interesting. Um, whenever I looked up, like researching for this episode, um, God's righteous judgment or God's wrath, most of the verses that I actually came up with were from the New Testament. Which is interesting because most people kind of disassociate God's wrath from Jesus in the New Testament, but... Like they would say God is more wrathful in the Old Testament and that the New Testament is all like happy giddy, um, essentially is what Michael is saying. But we just read Romans in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this is just two. There's hundreds of verses. I think the New Testament mentions hell significantly more than the Old Testament does. Mm. Um, And it's just a reality. I know this is a part of God and faith that people tend to avoid, um, especially people that are just trying to discover their faith. But there, this is such a reality. And if we avoid it, we're ignoring a huge part of God's character and then a huge part of the miracle of the gospel as well. Because if we can't understand 
the judgment that we deserve as wicked sinners, then we're not going to be able to understand the grace that we've received in the full light that it has been given to us. Yeah, I think that's a really incredible way to put it. And I, Michael and I have talked lately. <clears throat> so sorry, my voice kind of, kind of not great right now, but like, it is really, I've seen a, a huge 180 and transition in Michael and the way that he even talks about the Lord just in the last two years that we've been together because Michael used to just say like, oh, it's just God is love. God is love. God is love. And I would always be like, you know, there's such a big aspect that I feel like you're missing. And I had known Jesus a little bit longer than Michael when we met. And so I had seen, you know, that side and been revealed of like, God is, God is just, uh, yes, he is merciful, but he is equally just and equally wrathful, um, for those who are wicked and praise God that he's wicked. He's wrathful to the wicked because, uh, like Michael said, it shows us what we deserve. Our sin is disgusting. It's vile. Like we deserve death, but we were given the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Like that's what Romans 623 tells us. And so, I think this is this is a really incredible and pivotal point for even Michael to sit on here and tell you guys about because he used to be one of the ones that would say, you know, hey, God is just love, God is love, and now he is he's very forthright in saying God is love, but he is also just. And so I'm really excited that someone even asked this question and that we're in a place to get to answer it hopefully in a way that makes sense and kind of explains what the Lord says from scripture. Mm -hmm. And so another verse that we want to include under God's righteous judgment on sinners is Psalm 1, 5, and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Yeah. And then the next one, Revelation 21, verse 8. This is in the New Testament in Revelation. Yeah, it's the last book of the Bible. It's also pretty heavy, but you need to listen to every single word this verse says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portions will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Hmm. This is straight from the word of God that he has given to us. And God didn't just say, he, he did say murderers and he said sexually immoral, but he also said idolaters and liars. And I don't know a single person on earth that doesn't fall into that category. Yeah, we fall into that category, but we were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you are not saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and he is not your Lord and Savior, you fall into that category. And we don't mean to offend you. We truly don't. But we hope that this answers the question that somebody asked and maybe God's going to use this to speak to you so that you can understand what your portion is. Because it is in that lake if Jesus Christ isn't your Savior. And, and that's a really hard reality. And it's a call to repentance. If yeah. you feel convicted by this, that your part is in the lake of fire, if you feel the conviction of telling you you don't want to be there, the only requirement of you is that you repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah. And what repent means, it means to turn away from. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. 
every who he who says that sin is not in him does not has not understood the gospel when you repent you are acknowledging that you are a sinner and you are hating your sin it's basically a switch of your heart posture towards sin and rather than cherishing it and clinging to the things of the world clinging to sexual immorality clinging to pornography clinging to clinging to alcoholism or drug addiction now you hate these parts of yourself and instead you want god to be in control of your life yeah and that's what repentance is and this is just understanding if you're feeling that conviction that you're wicked and you are and God is telling you in his word that you belong in the lake of fire, repent and believe in the gospel. That is the only requirement to be justified before God. Yeah. And to not go to the lake of fire, to go to heaven, to spend eternity with Jesus. And so the next topic of discussion after God's justice um, and righteousness of judgment is God's discipline on believers. And so the the overall question remember is is does god punish us and so we we know that he punishes and gives judgment is a better word than punish upon those that it deserves like those that are wicked and sinners that are not justified by the blood of jesus um we know that judgment will be given to them and so i want to reframe to punish to almost judgment but still answering that question of god does god punish us so we're going to talk about God's discipline on those who do, do believe in him because that is a thing. And if you as a child of God walk into sin knowingly and choose sin, there is going to be times when God allows you to sit in that sin and, and pay the consequence of it. Um, he, you have opportunities like the, the Lord tells us in First Corinthians ten thirteen that no temptation has overtaken me except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so this just tells me like the Lord provides a way out every single time you are tempted. He's not the one tempting you like the devil is, but he he will always provide a way out. He's not going to let you be tempted and not going to let Satan tempt you beyond what you're able to bear. And so uh, if you do decide to not take that way out and you do sin, then most of the time you're going to have to deal with that consequence. And Michael and I know about dealing with the consequences of our sin because guess what? We're sinners. I mean, I even think about love and respect. Like that is the call as man and wife is to wives respect your husband and in return husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And if I don't respect Michael and I treat him in a disrespectful manner, which guess what I'm prone to do, like my selfishness and my pridefulness does not want to respect Michael. And when I treat him in that manner, most of the time he feels incredibly unloved and then in return isn't loving me in a way that I need to be loved. And it gets us on a very negative cycle. And if you just walk in and decide to, to still pursue sin, even though there's that door waiting for you to take an exit, you're probably going to pay the consequence of that sin. Because even though God loves you, he loves you enough for you to have that consequence so that you learn from that mistake and don't do it again. And I think moving towards some actual examples from the Bible of God's discipline on believers, um, 
a couple examples, the first one being Moses and the rock of, I can't remember what it is. It's Numbers chapter 20. Yeah. Uh, go read it. But basically, basically, the Israelite people were very thirsty. It was the end of their journey in the wilderness. They're coming to the promised land. And the people were thirsty. They thought that they were dying of thirst. They thought their cattle was dying of thirst. They go to Moses and they say, Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? Why were we saved from Egypt? Just to die in this wilderness, die in the desert, basically. Moses goes to God and says, scripture doesn't actually say what Moses says, but you can assume that Moses pled with God about the situation. And God responds by saying, take the staff and go speak to the rock and the rock will bring water forth to the people of Israel. So God's response isn't anger with the people of Israel at this point. God's response is just, I'm going to provide for you. Just do this and you like, we will provide, I will provide for the people of Israel. And what Moses does is instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock twice. And he says, we, why must we provide for you? He basically puts himself on par with God and on a pedestal and he doesn't obey God because God didn't tell him to strike the rock. He took the staff and struck the rock. God said, take the staff, speak to the rock and water will come forth. Moses took the staff, struck the rock like he did in Exodus 17 when God did tell him to strike the rock, but God did not tell him to strike the rock this time. And because of his disobedience, Moses wasn't able to enter the kingdom of God and he wasn't able to go to the promised land. God said, because of your disobedience, because you have not acknowledged me and given me the recognition, you will no longer enter the promised land yeah. with Aaron, your brother. Like you won't get to do that. And this is God's discipline on a believer. Like we know that Jesus, um, or we know that Moses was a believer, but Moses isn't going to enter the promised land because of yeah. his disobedience. That doesn't mean that Moses wasn't glorified when he died and isn't with God now, but it means But it means he on sinned. Earth, yeah. On earth, he was disciplined for his sin. Yeah. And it carries with David and Bathsheba as well. David had his whole kingdom taken away from him by his own children because of his sin with Bathsheba. Yeah. And that's just that's just one example. It's a large example. Like if you read through first and second Samuel, you'll see that that's one of the critical points of David's life. It's not just that he was able to conquer Goliath and then be faithful to God in his pursuit of the kingdom of becoming king by fleeing from Saul, essentially. But once his kingdom was given to him, his sin was punished by God. It was, he had discipline by God because yeah. of his sin, but God didn't do it because he hated him. God did it because he loves him like a loving father. God wanted David to repent and David did repent in Psalm 51 when he comes to God and his heart is broken over his sin. And he is saying that a sacrifice will not appease you, God, because what I have done, there is no sacrifice that merits it. The only thing based on what I've done by murdering my friend and cheating, He's my punishment, with, yeah. my punishment should be death. There's nothing that I can give you except for my life that would 
repay this sin that I've done upon you. And God forgives him because David is faithful. Yeah. And it's just because of God's grace. You know, it's because <laughs> of God that David is forgiven, not because of David. Yeah. And the next, the next uh, example of God's discipline that we have is Jacob and Esau. And God says that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And this is interesting because whenever you whenever you see that, how did God manifest his love to Jacob and how did he manifest his hatred to Esau? Well, looking at Jacob's life, Jacob was cast out of his own home whenever he lied to his father to try to get his father's blessing. Jacob basically lived in a faraway land as an exile for years. Esau, on the other hand, was rewarded with a whole bunch of pleasures. He was a kingdom. He was well-respected by the people around him. He had an easy life. God's love was manifested to Jacob through discipline in Jacob's life because God wanted Jacob to be holier. Whereas God's manifestation of his hatred to Esau was he just let Esau go on in sinfulness. Yeah, and I think this like makes me realize that the 20 years that I didn't know Jesus, you know, like when I thought of God, I thought of, oh, it's just rules. It's a bunch of commands. You're not supposed to drink and get drunk. Like you're only supposed to have sex with inside of marriage. Like, you know, don't do drugs. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Like all of these things that felt like rules. And the reality of that is that God gives those rules for boundaries on our heart. And I I look at this and I look at Jacob and Esau and God loved Jacob so much that he was willing to discipline him. He was willing to build Jacob's character to like know Jacob better and, you know, allow Jacob to know God better. But also, so Jacob's life would be meaningful. And Esau's life, Like we can see that it had no meaning. Like he ended up going to Jacob and needing Jacob's help after 20 years of of being apart. And there's just, there's so much depth in Jacob and Esau's story. I, I love this story. If you haven't read it, please go read it. Because like Michael said, Esau was given into his pleasures and his adulterous way of like living um, and luxurious way of living. Like he was given into that and the Lord just let him do that. And I look at our world and I'm like, yeah, the Lord lets all of these people um, that we, you know, wouldn't proclaim to be Christians do whatever they want and get rich and do all these things, but their life is meaningless. And this just, Really, it, it is such a picture of Jacob and Esau, and the Lord warns us of this. So, Yeah, moving forward, our next topic, going down from the, the broad topic of does God punish us, this one is more focused on uh, maybe focusing on pain in life. I'm thinking of why am I feeling this pain? Why is this happening to me? Yeah, am I kinds of thing? Am I being punished by God? Because that that might not necessarily be the case. Yeah. Um. This we're going to start talking about now is the consequences and the effects of sin in our fallen world. Yeah. 
And really that comes from Genesis 3, y'all. We've talked about this on this podcast many times, but the fall, um, Eve and Adam were tempted to eat the fruit off the tree of the good of knowledge. And God said, you know, do not eat this fruit. You can eat from anywhere in this garden, but do not eat from that tree and they ate from that tree and sin entered the world and so to kind of play off of that the consequences and effects of sin are that sin can hurt you really bad you can you can have consequences from your own sin just as jake uh david did or it can be from other people's sin and michael and i talk about this a lot you know uh some of the people that comprise michael and i's family are not believers and their sin really affects us they make choices that come back to us and cause us to be in positions that we don't want to be in Um, someone you know lying or cheating for example like the the consequence can be on you for actions that other people do Um, and and we're we're deeply I want to say that I'm sorry because we have been in that position and every single one of us if we proclaim to know Jesus Christ can pretty much come together collectively and say, yeah, I've been hurt not only by my sin um, and I have consequences for that, but also from other people's sin. I have consequences and I feel the hurt of other people's sin and it causes broken relationships and we know that and we're sorry. We really are deeply sorry, especially if you don't know Jesus. I know that it's harder and we, we've been there. Michael and I have been there. We've only known Jesus a few years, both of us. And so we just encourage you to press forward and press on and um, really get to know what Jesus would say about that. And he, he wants to be beside you, before you, and behind you when you feel those things. Yeah, I think one thing to think about is that other people's selfishness affect your life. If someone were hurting for money and they rob you, you feel the consequences of their greed. You know, and yeah. that's that's just a fundamental law. That's one tiny example, but that's a fundamental law of how our world works together is your selfishness hurts those around you. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus because Jesus is the perfect example of selflessness and dying to yourself yeah. for the sake of others. Yeah. The next problem of pain question um and just problem with our society and what's wrong with this world is the reality of satan people neglect to talk about satan frequently because it's kind of something that is hard to address i know different people have different views or opinions of who satan is and how he manifests himself i personally believe that satan is a creature Um, That means he is one thing. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He's not in all places at all times. He is like one being. Um, That being said, he has agents, you know, and demons throughout the, the world and all this stuff. And Satan is the deceiver, right? His whole approach towards humanity is to deceive us to prevent us from coming in to God's favor. Like that is, that is Satan's mission. Satan knows that he is doomed to the lake of fire. Satan, Satan is more theologically sound than anyone else. You, any human that you could probably meet. And he knows where he is going and where his angels are going. And his mission 
is to bring as many humans, as many of God's creation down with him. And he does this through deception. You know, he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. He deceives us now. He deceives us into trying to convince people that God doesn't exist, that he's a fantasy, or that if God does exist, that he is one in many gods, or that there is only, that there is a thousand ways to get to heaven, that you can believe in any God and you'll get to heaven. Yeah. As opposed to what Jesus says when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except for me. Satan is trying to deceive humanity into thinking that humanity that any human can just get to god anyway which is not true the only way is through jesus and he would want you to think that because then you never get to know jesus and so if he can deceive you into believing all all religions are true and everything is true everything is great then the reality of that is that you never get to know jesus and that would be satan's hope is that you never get to know jesus and so Uh, Be on watch. You know, James 1 talks about this, but it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Like, God can test you, but he cannot tempt you. And he can give you opportunities to be faithful um, and be obedient. But God doesn't want you to fall. Uh, He he will lovingly let you spare the consequences of your own sin and and pay for that. but the reality is you paying for one sin here on earth is nothing comparison to our lives that are full of sin and that Jesus paid for and that we get to be cleansed and pure by his blood and justified and live in eternity with Jesus. So. And I think closing on just the idea, the idea of Satan and how he's deceived our society I think talking about making God seem like a fairy tale is one way seeking any or saying that any route of religion can get you to heaven is another way. And then also through false doctrine, you know, false prophecy and false teaching is mentioned by Jesus frequently throughout the new Testament. And that's why it's so important that we have good doctrine and we're constantly searching for doctrine that's based in the Bible, because the Bible is the only source of truth. We've talked about this a few times, but you can go on the internet, and if you want to prove that drinking alcohol is good for you, you can probably Google proof that alcohol drinking alcohol is good for you, and find like 20 studies done by doctors that say alcohol is good for you. And then you can go find do 20 studies saying alcohol drinking alcohol is bad for you like you have all you've you can prove anything to yourself on the internet these days there is almost no form of truth because it's it's split in any in any way through media and through the internet which is giving us access to all these things but the one thing that stays constant is the bible you can mm. always go to the bible and the bible will always be a source of truth and don't let Satan try to pull that away from you. If you choose to neglect the importance of scripture in the Bible, then the, the truth that you're depending on is the truth from yourself, from the people around you, from the internet, from the government. 
as a Christian, I do not trust my heart because the Bible tells me that my heart is wicked and I know myself and I know that I have a wicked heart. Yeah. I don't trust people around me for the same reason. I don't trust a lot of media yeah. just because media is constantly at odds with each other and they're more concerned with money than truth. And pushing an agenda. Then. And the government... I don't even know where to start with the government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's coming from someone who, who works, you know, for the government. And so Michael, you know, says all of this out of love, but really out of caution of test, you know, test um, what you're listening to, test what you're watching, test what others are saying. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust your neighbor and trust what they're saying. It just means, hey, listen to what they're saying and then evaluate it. Listen to what they're talking about and then go back and say, hey, does this align with scripture? And so knowing really the hearts of your friends and knowing where they're at, knowing what kind of um, relationship they have with Jesus, especially when you're asking them to speak into your life is really important. And so uh, we're really glad that we we got this question and we got to talk about um, this topic of does God punish us? And we hope that you, you might not like this answer. We're going to be honest. We talked about that and we prayed about this before this. You might not, but we're just praying that the Lord uses it to um, reveal himself to you if you don't already know him. And if you do know him to uh, really push you to go tell others about this so that they know the reality that, that they're going to face if they don't um, come to repentance in yeah. Jesus. Yeah, because this is the truth, you know. If I tell you that the sky is b green, but we both know the sky is blue, that doesn't change. Me saying that the sky is green doesn't change that the sky is blue. God saying that he will punish the wicked means that he will punish the wicked. And there's nothing that you can believe or do to avoid that fact. But what you can do is repent and believe in the gospel and you'll be able to see that and rejoice in his judgment and his justice because he is a good God and you'll be able to come into life through Jesus. Yeah. But we thank you again for tuning in and we hope you have a good rest of your week and we'll see you next time. Thank you again for listening to the Abide Podcast. Every Sunday, we will post the questionnaire on our Instagram story that you can answer anonymously to tell us what you want to hear about or questions that you want answered. We hope you'll share this with a friend or someone you know that would like it. We look forward to diving deeper into God's Word with you next time. Leading in love.